What's going on, High Street Young Adults? How are we doing? Come on. I love it. Guys, it's so good to be here finally. I'm so glad we finally have some consistency with our weeks. Uh, I felt like when we launched uh, for the spring for young adults and then we had that snow day, that really killed my vibe. I think it was just the snow in general. I'm from Malaysia. But if we have not had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is David, or a lot of my friends call me D-Chan, first initial, last name. Um, it's easier, it slides off the tongue faster. But yeah, if it's your first time, your first time here, we'd love to get to meet you after your service. A little bit about myself, uh, I get to work with the young adults team here, so I get to serve every Tuesday and throughout the week. Part of my job is going on campus and meeting up with guys, which some of them are here, so shout out to you guys. Um, and what else, let's see, I just got engaged uh, last November, and so that's, that's something cool. My beautiful fiance, Carolyn, she's somewhere here, I think, don't know where she's at, but she's right there in the back. So uh, we are currently, if it's your first time, first time in a long time, we're currently continuing in our relationship series called Catching Feelings. And if you weren't here the first two weeks, we got to hear from Jared and we got to hear from Logan as they talked on the topics of marriage and sex. This week, I think maybe it's just because I just got engaged, they gave, gave the new guy the dating topic. So tonight we're going to have a conversation about the topic of dating, and as I was preparing for this message, I'm like, man, God, you low-key be kind of funny. You just set the dating topic, the dating message on Valentine's Day. Um, and, and when I say Valentine's Day, I think some of y'all are like stood up real straight or sat up real straight in your chair, and some of y'all were like, ooh, I'm out. Because I think when we, when we think of Valentine's Day, some of us view Valentine's Day as like, you might be on one side of the spectrum where you're like young Taylor Swift. You know, you're dropping the Fearless album, you're playing Love Story, you're like, I'm feeling it, I can't wait to get in a dating relationship. Or you're on the other side of the spectrum. You could be that new Miley Cyrus song, I think it's called Flowers, and you're like on that same energy of like, I can buy myself some flowers. And you know, you know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are like, you know that song? And I got to shout out to Carolyn for that. She told me that joke would be funny. I'm, I'm not that big in the Miley Cyrus game myself. Um, but love story I'll get behind. All that to say, dating has, we have a mixed bag of feelings, right? You could be on one end of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum, but wherever you're at, I really hope that this message tonight will encourage you um, like it encouraged me as I got to prepare for it. Um, so before we start, let's just pray. Um, Lord, just thank you just for tonight, God, just allowing us the opportunity to gather together to worship you. Um, Valentine's Day, Lord, uh, we know that this, this day has a lot of taboo with some people, and God, just pray that whoever came through these doors with, with some worries about relationships or, or trying to seek a relationship, God, I pray that uh, you would prepare their hearts to know that the only relationship that would fulfill them is a relationship with you. And God, anything that you don't want me to say, let it not be said. Anything that would help move your kingdom forward, uh, would it be spoken, God? Uh, Lord, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So to kick us off, I, I want to go over this concept of dating. And then the next thing we're going to talk about is purpose. And I'll explain why in a couple seconds. Uh, because... With dating, as we date, we're trying to look for a spouse. We're trying to look for qualities in a spouse. That's what tonight's main topic is about. But I think we need to talk about our purpose. And we need to understand what our purpose is because our purpose drives everything else in our lives. So what we deem our purpose in life is, that should be the driving factor when we look for someone to date and to eventually marry. So, so this concept of dating, it's a relatively new term. 
It, it came about in the last 200 years and even had some, um, some roots in Greek mythology where Zeus, the god, created humans with four arms, four legs, and a head with two faces. How's that for your next date? Um, and essentially, the, the mythology goes like this. Zeus split the humans in half because he was so worried, and that's how we actually get soulmates, because he was like, you need to go look for your other half. My question was, how did he not cut four arms into one person and four legs into the other person? Um, all that to say, dating is different. And with the introduction of social media, with the introduction of the internet, we have all these incredible resources, but we're like, well, where do I go? Right? We have so many resources, but we don't know, well, is this the right way, or, or is this app is a good app, or do, do we go to church? What do we do? And dating looks really different now compared to when our parents and grandparents dated. Uh, I think back then, uh, our grandparents probably just dated whoever's up the street, and, and now we have this little app that can give us a worldwide radius, right? So the question is, how do we do it, and where do we do it? And I have some examples. Do we slide up on someone's DMs? Do, do we like, hey... What's up? Or if you're not even that bold, what you do, I think Instagram has this thing now you slide up and you can just heart. And I, that's like a form of flirting, right? Is, is that one way to do it? Or do you go the online dating route? You, you try to go on an online dating app and you're like, man, Lord, I just pray you, you do, I swipe on someone solid and not someone weird. Uh, or, or maybe online dating to you, you're like, ah, that's, I can't even do that. So you go the other route, you go the Christian mingle route and you're like, God, I know you're going to anoint me with your holy prophecy that you're going to show someone in my life. Or, or is it here tonight? You come to young adults, and as we just finish worshiping, as we're, we're going through this sermon, you're hoping, man, if I just look around, and she looks around, and then you're like, right there. You, you like lock eyes, and you're like, oh, is this it? Like, guys, this is Valentine's Day. We're talking about dating. You looked at me during the worship time. Is this it? I was, going to go, I was going to talk about some mad riz, but I don't even understand that term, so we're not even going to go there. But, but once we decide where we go, then we go into the more important question is, what should we look for? So, so what should we look for? And I was thinking, I'm like, man, fellas, do, do you look for a girl who, uh, I don't know, goes shops at Lululemon or, or loves um, coffee? Or is it girls, what's your, what's your, uh, your, your checklist? Does he have to be 6'1"? up and above and love Jesus. And I think instead of going to TikTok, instead of going to our own personal biases, which aren't bad to have, I think where we should go first and foremost is scripture. And in this passage, is gonna, what this passage is gonna do, the Apostle Paul writes this passage called 1 Corinthians. And in this passage, he's gonna link us, he's gonna give us our purpose in life. Because like I said, our purpose should drive everything else that we look for in life. So in 1 Corinthians 7, that, that's the passage we're going to be in, just a little bit about it. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and chapter 7 is mainly a chapter about relationships. And in a day and age where culture tells us, man, one of the biggest wins in our purpose in life is to be in a relationship and be married, Paul hits them with a rebuttal. He's like, nah. He, Paul shows us that our purpose isn't to be married. And Paul says marriage isn't the end-all, be-all. And realistically, if you look throughout Scripture, there are a lot of heroes of the faith that we look up to to this day who are single. Paul, like I just said, who wrote half the New Testament, or majority of the New Testament, was single. We got John the Baptist, who essentially a guy who prepared the way before Jesus came, and he was single. And then we got Jesus, who 
Well, Jesus is Jesus. He's the Savior of the world, and Jesus was single as well. And so Paul kicks us off in this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. If you guys want to go to the Bible app, it's on the events page. Um, All the notes, all the verses will be there if you want to follow. It's pretty sick. And the verse says, Paul says, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What Paul is wishing for here is that he wishes that for all those who are around him in his community, that they would have the same circumstances in life that he has. In this specific case, the circumstance he has was that Paul was single, and he saw it as a gift from God. Paul saw that singleness was a gift from God. And some of y'all might be in this room, and you're like looking at me after I say that, and you're saying, well, Paul, can I get this, this gift receipt? I don't, I don't want to be single anymore. I, I, what's the return policy for not being single anymore? And he gives us his, his reasoning uh, a, little, a couple verses down the line. Verse 32 says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married, man, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband. So Paul gives his, his, his reasoning for this. Uh, he's not saying, no, you shouldn't be. Uh, he's not saying like, oh, being in a relationship is a bad thing. Being married is a bad thing. What he's saying, he's giving us a reminder if you are in this room and you're not married and you're single, is that, hey, your singleness is a time for you to use for the Lord. That, that you will have no other time, no more free time than you have as a single person. And Paul essentially wants the unmarried believer to know that he or she has no restraint towards undivided devotion to the Lord in a way a married believer has. And I think, like, we have all these examples of people who are single who can do all these things. I'm sure everyone in this room has a friend who's like, man, they're single, and what are they doing next? They're spontaneous. They're type 7 on the Enneagram. They're like, I'm going to go on the spontaneous uh, trip to Africa, on this trip to Asia to go to Colorado. They can do really whatever they want. Do you want to wake up at noon? Go, go ahead. Or do you want to buy a Nintendo Switch without having to stand in the gaming aisle at Target for an hour and 20 minutes trying to figure out and justify if that's going to affect your budget? Go ahead. If that sounds really specific and personal, it's because it is. Um, I ended up buying a Nintendo Switch, guys. Never really use it, but it, it's, that's a different topic. And then in verse 35... Paul continues, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul gives his reasoning for what he said, and then he finishes his thought. He doesn't want to condemn anyone with the thought of wanting to be in a relationship, but he wants to remind us that in this season, you have this undivided devotion towards the Lord. And he's essentially saying if you, have a, if you don't have a spouse or you don't have a significant other, you can give your full attention to the Lord. And he's saying that being married here isn't our purpose in life, but living with undivided devotion to the Lord is our purpose. And so if our purpose in life is to be fully devoted to God, we should be looking for godly characteristics in our potential spouse. And not only that, we ourselves should also be examining inwardly if we ourselves are growing in a way that glorifies God. Because here's the thing, guys. Who you marry matters. Who you marry 
matters. And if your purpose and the person you're about to marry's purpose do not align, there's going to be a lot of tension along the way as you get deeper in that relationship. If you guys don't get on the same page, things might be hard. It's just going to be a hard marriage. So who we marry matters. And if who we marry matters, we should be looking, uh, we should be looking for people with three characteristics. We should be on the lookout for someone with a secure faith. We should be on the lookout for someone with a heavenly hope. And we should be on the lookout for someone with, that establishes a sacrificial love. So our first point, be on the lookout for someone with a secure faith. What do I mean by that? So we want to look for someone who's secure in Christ. We want to look for someone who finds your identity in Christ, in Christ alone. Because here's the thing, if you're in here tonight and you said you've placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your identity isn't of this world anymore. Your identity is solely in the works of Jesus. And in John 1.12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And John here is saying that for those who receive Christ as Lord, they're adopted and have been adopted into a new identity and as a son and daughter of God. And I want us to take a quick look at this word adoption too. And we also find in Romans 8.15, uh, and Paul the apostle writes this, says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as son by whom we say, Abba, Father. And if a person was adopted in Paul's time, that individual immediately receives the same rights as someone from the family who adopted that individual. So to provide a little bit more context to this message, uh, or to this verse, slavery was a common thing during Paul's time. And if a slave was to be fully adopted into the family, that slave would receive the full rights of that family. No matter what their baggage, no matter what hardships they came through, they have been given, essentially, a new identity. And this principle applies to our lives as well. If you've placed your trust in Christ, you're saying you believe in who he is and what he's done on the cross. And the moment you've received Jesus into your life, you've been adopted into the family of God. And you've been given a new identity. And this, this new identity of being in Christ is a stark contrast towards what the world says our identity should be in. And I think we could see this in John 10.10. 10. It says, this thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And here we see Jesus speaking. And Jesus is describing what he has come on earth to do. He's came on earth to give life, to give an identity, to give hope. But then he gives us the other side of the coin, what the devil tries to do, that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the devil's whole goal is to create a chasm between us and God. And how does he do this in today's society? I think he does this by utilizing our culture and our media to influence us, potentially planting the seed of doubt that we are some second-class um, Christian if you don't have, if you're not in a relationship, if you're not married, we start, plant, have, we start finding these little seeds of doubt. So he twists this belief that a relationship with Jesus isn't what fulfills us, but maybe just maybe a relationship with a human will instead. And to really bolster this point, I think we can look at this in media today, right? So I pulled some, some movie quotes over the years. Some of you guys might have not ever heard these movies. Some of you guys have. have. Um, the first one's from Pocahontas. Anybody seen Pocahontas? Old Disney movie? Uh, the quote says, I'd rather die tomorrow than live 100 years without knowing you. The second one is from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Anybody hear that one? 
These are some throwback movies, guys, so I might have been aging myself. People do fall in love. People do belong to each other because that's the only chance that anyone's got for true happiness. And then this last one, you guys should know this if you have Netflix. I mean, if you don't, it's okay. Um, try and guess it. Margot would say she belongs to herself. Kitty would say she belongs to no one. I guess I would say I belong to my sisters and my dad. But that won't always be true. To belong to someone, I didn't know it, but now that I think that's all that I've ever wanted, to really be somebody's and to have them be mine. Does anybody know what that movie is from? To all the boys I've loved. Sienna over here on the top right, come on. It's a good movie if you haven't seen it. <laughs> but you, you, you get the gist, you get the, the point here. I'm sure you can think of a couple more movie quotes, right? Like one of the most generationally like popular movies of our time or the past generation is about two young couples who fall madly in love. They head on a ginormous cruise ship. They head on a ginormous cruise ship and they're like, oh man, I love you. We're on this cruise ship. Cruise ship sinks, tough. That's not even the worst part. They get in the ice cold water and there's this scene, right? And you guys might have seen it. It's called the Titanic. Um, and I think it's Jack and Rose, and, and Rose is on this iceberg, and Jack's in the freezing water. And this, like, most popular phrase, one of the most popular phrases of all time in media is like, Jack, I love you. I won't ever let go. She lets go in like two seconds. <laughs> I'm like, that's Cap. That, that, that glacier, or whatever that ice piece, was, was big enough for both of them. But you see this mindset permeate through all the cultures, like in our media throughout the years, from old movies to new movies, to old TV shows to new TV shows. You guys all can think of a movie or a show right now, or even a song that has that same underlying message. You might be asking me, well, what's wrong with wanting a relationship? I'm like, nothing. There ain't nothing wrong with wanting a relationship. Uh, I think I would even go on to say that seeking or having a desire to have a relationship with someone is normal. It's very natural. God created us to be relational beings. It starts being wrong when you start giving into the lie that Satan plants in us that maybe God is keeping something from us or from you. And what happens is we start believing this lie. We start seeking fulfillment in another human to complete you. And here's what happens, you start feeding this lie of like, I am not enough, I'm second class, what's wrong with me, all my friends are dating. Well, what happens is you start getting jaded and then you start justifying things. You start lowering your standards. Instead of having godly standards, instead of having godly standards, you have worldly standards. And so you go around your lives living, you're like, please validate me. Please love me. Please like my picture. Are you liking that person's picture? We seek validation from anyone else but the Lord, right? So what happens is we need anyone, so we start selling for everyone. And I feel like that's a story for a lot of us in this day and age. We start believing in this lie that if I'm single, I'm second class. We buy into this lie that we need to be in a relationship to make us complete. And if we're not in one, we'll do whatever it takes to be in one. And can I be real with you? I think when I was writing this message, uh, a lot of this is personal to me because growing up, I came from a divorced family and my, and my parents split when I was young, when I was six. 
and, ooh, loud, when I was six, and God's redeemed the marriage. My, my mom got remarried to my stepdad, and it's been awesome. But growing up, I think because of that, I grew up with this mindset that, oh, you know what would really make me fulfilled? If I had a family. And how do I have a family? I date somebody, and I need to meet somebody. And I think that was a big part of my struggle was actually following Jesus. Like, there's no way. Like, I'm sure, God, you're good. I think a family is what's going to fulfill me. But it's actually through a friend of mine who is now, uh, I think she's the women's director of Saltco at Hill City. And she, she told me this. She goes, hey, David. I go, what's up? She goes, what if uh, you have a wife and kid and they die? And I'm like, I'm like 17 or 18. I'm like, what do you mean? No one's like, nah. I'm like, we're like untouchable. And, and I think something along those lines, something just clicked. And I realized that, well, even if you got married and you stayed in a loving relationship for the rest of your lives, when things get hard, you cannot expect another human being to be the sole um, thing you lean on. You have to lean on something way deeper, and that's where Christ comes in. And so if we start believing in this lie, I think even nowadays, this is the reason a lot of people stay in relationships who aren't healthy. Right? Deep down, you truly believe in this lie that God's withholding from you some gift, so you justify lowering your standards with somebody. You justify getting into a relationship with somebody who uh, doesn't love you well, who might have cheated on you, might have manipulated you. Um, and then what happens is you justify their sins, and then they come back to you, and you're like, no, it's different this time. It's different. It has to be different. I feel like everyone in this room has some sort of relational uh, equity with this to a degree, whether it's from yourself or your friends. And what happens is we fall to that lie and fall to that trap, and then what happens is we start feeling shame, we start feeling guilt, we're like, I can't believe that happened again. And I guess this is the only way I'll ever date for the rest of my life because of the choices I've made. And if no one has told you this in a long time, let me remind you this, that marriage or a relationship doesn't complete you. Christ and Christ alone completes you. And more than that, you yourself are worthy. You yourself are worth it. God created you in his image, and you are so worth it, so much worth it that he sent his son to die for you. So don't lower your standards. I would say raise them. In fact, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For in him the, wholeness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. We have been made full in Christ. So don't compromise your values to settle for less than what Jesus wants for you. When someone asks you to do something outside of God's boundaries, you don't have to sell your body for love because nothing about that is in God's design. You are secure in Christ and you can be secure in Christ. And besides, if you really liked it, if that person really liked you, as the great Beyonce said, you should have put a ring on it. Here's the cool part, right? When we're secure in Christ, we start living confidently and your standards start to go up. You start realizing that, okay, I can't find my identity any other human. So you carry each day strong, confident, moving forward. And what happens when this happens is that you start attracting the right people. You start attracting people who've decided, man, no other human on this earth or nothing else on this earth can fulfill me. And, and that's the beauty of it. It's really when you least look at it. It's when you... You figure out your vertical, you spend all your time with God, and then all of a sudden you're horizontal and you're just seeing someone right next to you. And that's when you start linking, you link arms with that person and you're like, okay, we can both be devoted to God for the rest of our lives. 
If our purpose in life is to be fully devoted to Jesus, then who we marry matters, and we should be on the lookout for someone who is secure in your faith. Number two, be on the lookout for someone who has a heavenly hope. And the word hope is used pretty commonly in our everyday language. Uh, The way we use hope, though, however, I will say, has this connotation of doubt. There's this underlying message of doubt. Think about it this way. I think the best way to use this was this past Sunday. Uh, A lot of you Chiefs fans in the room were like, I hope Patrick doesn't hurt his ankle in the Super Bowl. Um, there's, There's an underlying sense of doubt. There's an uneasiness to it. However, biblical hope or heavenly hope is opposite. The Greek word for hope is el piso and carries a meaning of confidence, security, and being without care. So doubt is nowhere to be found. And we see this hope in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this verse right here, it carries it, all the confidence that comes is knowing for sure that no questions asked what God has promised us through his word. And another thing about this chapter in Hebrews 11 is that it is also called the Hall of Faith. And we have something in our modern world called the Hall of Fame with sports, with different businesses. And the Hall of Fame is a way we recognize individuals who've dedicated their whole lives towards this mission. They've decided that their purpose is so important that they're gonna do it for the rest of your life. And that's what the Hall of Faith is. That, that the people in the, faith, in the Hall of Faith had no doubt about the promises of God and in turn lived each day of their lives on mission. And if we, who we marry matters, then we need to be on the lookout for someone with a heavenly hope because if the person understands the promises of God, he or she has that hope and confidence that no matter what, I'm going to be able to serve the, serve the Lord for the rest of their lives. So then the question begs is, how do we find this person? How do we know if this person is legit? How, how do we know if they're walking the walk? Because the reality is that we all know someone, whether in our families, and our friends, someone you just met off the street who says they're a Christian. They know the lingo. But when you see them on, not at church, they're living like the devil. So how do we see it? Through their fruits. We see it through their fruits. We see it through their character. And we see it through their community. In Matthew 7, verse 15 and 20, it says, Beware of false prophets who disguise as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And here Jesus is speaking towards false teachers. He, he uses this analogy of a good and bad tree, that bad trees can't produce good fruit, and good trees can't produce bad fruit. And I think this same principle carries into the way we should be looking for somebody. Is this person trying to pour their lives out into other people? It doesn't mean you have to be dating the next Billy Graham. But this person should be living out their life on mission for God. I can't stress this enough because I bet you all of us here know someone who's on fire for God. And the moment they get in a relationship, they disappear. And if the person that they got in a relationship is, is not on fire for God, well, this is when that tension starts happening. And then they just disappear, and you're like, what, what happened? That's why it's so important to really look out for these qualities. So, girls, let me talk to you. Don't settle. 
Uh, don't settle for a guy just because he's smooth and says he loves Jesus. He's got the cross tattoo and all that. And guys, don't settle for a girl just because you think she's hot. I think there's, there's so much more to looking for a spouse in these things, right? Look at their life. Look at their life and make sure you're looking at their life outside one of one time because you can't see fruit in a silo. And a silo is where they hold grain and you need to get out of the silo. So you need to see this person that you're trying to date, how they are in community, how they are um, re- with other people, how they are when you're going out to eat and they're talking to someone who's maybe a barista, someone who's a waiter. I think for me personally, I like to watch that because how people treat someone who, has no ret- who can't give them anything else in return really shows a lot about that person. And saying you have a heavenly hope is one thing, but living out in your daily life and showing it through your character is a different thing. And if who we marry matters, we should be looking for someone with a heavenly hope. And on point three, we got to be on the lookout for someone who displays a sacrificial love. We should be looking for someone who displays a sacrificial love because that is what biblical love is, right? The way society, the way culture, and the way media is set up, it portrays a love in a way that mimics consumerism. It takes on the form of like, what can you do for me? What can I get from this relationship? And once I am done, on to the next thing. And this is how we get hurt. Love becomes a selfish act of taking, of taking, instead of the selfless act of giving. However, biblical love is different from the world's uh, definition of love. Where the world's love is rooted in self, biblical love is rooted in Christ. The Greek word for it is agape, and, and the connotation or underlying meaning here is that love is a choice. One that's not based on obligation, one that's not based on attraction, or even a return on investment. It is the choice to love sacrificially and willingly. And to an extent, this is what a parent shows their child in unconditional love. And there's no better example of this than what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. Now, I really can't emphasize this enough that only for someone, only for someone to exhibit this kind of love is to know this kind of love. And for someone to know this love, they must know God because God is love. In John 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So to love like God, you have to have a relationship with God. You have to know God. Not compared to what the world says, to what love should look like. Love to the world looks like the bachelor. You come in with a plethora of choices, you hook up with all of them until there's two left for you to choose and you give one of them a rose. You go through all that just to break up in six months with a luggage of scars. Because you need to be on the lookout for someone with a sacrificial love because what happens when that honeymoon phase ends? What happens when life gets hard? You don't want to date in a way that's 50-50. I think Jared said this last week, marriage isn't 50-50 like the world says. Marriage is 100 100. Because if you're 50-50 in a marriage, what happens when one person is zero for the day and the other person is still seeking a 50? Okay? We need to be looking for someone who lives out this reality of 100 and 100 each day, being fully committed to each other, that you're willing to sacrifice yourself to love the other person even when they are hard to love. And personally, I have obviously a personal bias. I think of my fiance and Carolyn. 
Um, it was a week or two ago on a Sunday, and we decided to start fasting. We decided to start fasting, and for me, for some reason, it was just a really off day. I was trying to prepare the sermon, or starting to get head start in the sermon, and I was hungry. Obviously, I didn't dealt with the hunger well. Um, but the whole day, I was just being an absolute jerk. Jerk, jerk, jerk. It was just awful. And then the whole thing with that was that I remember we ended up going to Whataburger and I'm eating. <laughs> and it felt like I had this moment of clarity and I was like, wow, you can't even love your future wife in, in the way that I love you. Um, and my, I remember that I, when I witnessed that love and realized what kind of love Carolyn showed me, it really shattered something inside of me. It really made me realize that true love is really a selfless act and that I am a selfish person, right? And, and there's, we're going through premarital right now and there's this analogy of this cycle. And the cycle is that two people in a relationship, one person comes home and doesn't live up to the other person's expectations. So what happens, it snowballs into that next person not loving the first person. And it continues and continues and continues. And they showed us this cycle. They're like, this is how the world lives. And then they showed us another cycle. And the cycle is called the blessing cycle. And the blessing cycle is cool. Um, so let's use me and Carolyn, for example, right? So let's say, well, we don't live together. Let's say I came home after a hard day of playing Fortnite with the students on Missouri State's campus. You go whatever example you want, right? And Carolyn's like, trying to talk to me. She's excited. She's had her own day too. And I'm just not paying attention. And instead of not loving me, she continues to love me. She continues to serve me. And what happens with the blessing cycle is that when that 50 hits or when that zero hits, that 100 takes over. And in that moment, something special happens. We start realizing this is what true love is. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I wanna end with a couple quotes. Uh, this quote by a lady named Deborah Folletta. She's a professional counselor and author. And she says this about her relationship with her husband. On the hard days, more than trusting my husband to love me like he should, I trust God's spirit at work in his life. I'm thankful that he loves God more than he loves me because it's that relationship with God that he's learned to love me like he should. It's in that relationship with God that I've learned to love him like I should. And she goes on and says this, am I saying that a person outside of a relationship with God can't experience a healthy marriage? No, but what I am saying is that outside of a relationship with God, you never get a glimpse of complete love because it's only in God that complete love was created and experienced and only in him can it be freely given. He's the very definition of love. Outside of him, we can only get a hazy glimpse. And I read that, I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. But that's so true though. Like for us to experience true love, we need to know love. And that is to know God. And I think that's what we want in a partner, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, the whole summation of this message could be really simple. We're all in here and we just want to do life with somebody else. But here's the thing, God says that's not our purpose. He says, do life with me first, and then I'll bring someone else potentially down the line. And, and I think that's just such a simple yet so sweet thing um, that 
deep down in our hearts, we're yearning for a certain type of love in a relationship, in a marriage that we can't find sometimes because maybe it's not the season yet to be in. But what that does, it points us towards our deeper need for creator. It points us towards a deeper need for relationship with God. And in 1 John 4, 10, it says this, in this love, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And what this means is that Jesus loved us so much, that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for everyone in this room 2,000 years ago. And a lot of times when I think of the Bible, there's so many metaphors you can use for the Bible, right? You could use it as a manual for life, which I've learned is not a good way to to describe it since who reads a manual for fun? Um, But the one description I really love about the Bible is it's God's love letter to us, to a degree. And I think as we spend time in the Bible and learn more about God, and as I spend time learning more about God, I am immensely grateful for his love for me. And I think that's why I wanna ask you in this room, I'm like, have you experienced true love? Do you understand what complete love is with Christ? Because if you don't, man, I think that's your place to start before you look for anyone else. Because once you understand your purpose in life is to serve God with your life, everything else I think will, will fit in place. Um, so if everyone wants to bow, I'm gonna bow and we're gonna have people coming up here in a bit.